December 27th edition, 2017. I'm a day off already. Uh, just a little bit after 8.15. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight for our weekly uh, weather episode. Tonight we have Trevor Boucher on with us from the National Weather Service out of Austin and San Antonio, Texas. We're going to be talking about uh, communicating with uh, diverse populations tonight. So really interesting topic. And Trevor also won an award last, uh, last week at the NWA conference. So we'll also talk about that as well. So uh, before we do that, though, let's go over a few housekeeping rules. This is a live broadcast. So if you do have any questions or comments throughout the show, there's uh, various ways that you can reach out to us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Carolina WX Group. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook Live, Periscope, and also the uh, YouTube Live page as well. And uh, you can uh, submit those questions throughout the show. And we'll make sure uh, they get asked or we'll let Trevor share his social media towards the end of the show. And uh, if you're listening on our podcast, you can uh, tweet directly to uh, Trevor. So uh, we're thrilled to have Trevor on tonight. Before we uh, get into the main topic, let's quickly uh, go around the uh, panel and see uh, how everyone's doing tonight. Kind of a uh, low panel tonight. James is out on uh, vacation, and Ricky is also out of town on vacation. So you just got the Charleston boys and me and Peter. So there you go. Uh, let's uh, go down to Charleston, South Carolina tonight. Uh, Jared you and I was uh, talking a little bit earlier. It's uh, been kind of warm down there for the past few days. Like I, I explained to a few people earlier, it's like uh, we are on Maria's backside, and it's very warm and uh, a little humid back there. Uh, 92 degrees today, um, just to just to, uh, to touch off of the record of 94, uh, set in 86. Uh, normally 82, so well above where we would like to be this time of year. Um, and uh, 16 straight days with no rainfall at the airport. We haven't had rain since Irma. Uh, longest stretch of the year, previously 15 days, so now 16, uh, unless something happens between 1 and 1 a.m. Um, and so the only real rain we've got has been 921, so that's just a little trace of rain, but that's not measurable, so there you go. Uh, we do have a shot at rain on Friday, and then uh, we go from sweating weather to not quite sweater weather, but, you know, a nice happy medium there, getting back into the upper 70s and low 80s for the weekend and into next week as a little wedge of high pressure builds in from the northeast. So really, really, really excited about that. One more possible day of record heat tomorrow, and then cold front. <sighs> Let it all out. Back to you, Scotty. Thanks, Jared. And I'll uh, toss it to Shay in just a little bit as we uh, kind of talk about the tropics. But first, let's bring in Peter, who's uh, been absent the past couple of weeks. Uh, Peter, uh, you've also had to deal with a little bit of uh, tropical stuff from uh, Maria and and uh, Irma and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a busy summer and fall so far, but uh, I can't complain. It's been some really nice weather here the last week or so. No rain since September 19th, which is not as long as you guys, but uh, still it's a bit, almost a week or over a week now. And uh, today we had a couple of downpours popping up because we have a cold front coming through tonight, which will cool us down a bit. We've been in the 80s and 90s for much of this week, and then we'll be uh, back to the 70s and 80s through the rest of this week into next week. But uh, I've been seeing there could be a little ridge building in next week again. So we might be back into the 80s and 90s uh, for highs again. So uh, it just turned to fall last week, and it's really not feeling like it at all, especially with all this tropical stuff. But uh, we've only had a few little clouds rolling in from uh, Maria this week. Uh, no rain so far. And uh, the rip currents have been really bad. I know there's been a few deaths. Uh, down the Jersey Shore. So uh, just remember to swim near your lifeguards if they're still around. And, uh, you know, it's not worth it catching those waves because uh, they're pretty dangerous out there. Scotty? 
Yeah, Peter, and it was funny. Uh, I, I believe some of the locations, maybe not particularly where you are, but maybe a little further north, uh, is this is the warmest it's been all year. You know, as we went into fall, you would think summertime that would happen, but it, it's been this week that, that many locations in the northeast seen temperatures in the 90s. So um, that trend continues here in the Carolinas as well. Also, the uh, no rain trend. It's been a two and a, almost two and a half weeks since we've had measurable rain and uh, concerns for us uh, as it continues to be hot and dry uh, would be for wildfires, which we had a lot of those last year and uh, hoping that uh, we can get a little bit of rain in here so we don't have to deal with that um, this year. So uh, as of that, I'm going to toss it quickly to Shay and he can give us a rundown of the tropics and then we'll uh, get down into our show tonight. So Shay? Off to um, handing it off to you. Thank you, Scotty. All right, let me know when you can uh, see the screenshot that I have up here. Screen share. Yep, yes, you're good. Good to go. Okay, so we have uh, we still have some tropical activity to discuss here. Uh, Maria off the coast of Virginia, North Carolina, winds at 75 miles per hour. It was, it was upgraded again at 11 o'clock a.m. this morning. Back to hurricane status from tropical storm. It was downgraded yesterday morning. Uh, it is uh, has a rather expansive wind field, so they're still dealing with tropical storm force winds, which keeps the tropical storm uh, winds just offshore. The warnings just expired earlier, or I think it was around 5 o'clock p.m. today. I think some of those tropical storm warnings expired, maybe even 2 o'clock. Uh, but this storm is going to quickly move off to the east-northeast in time starting tomorrow, uh, which will be done with Maria officially. Uh, they will probably issue their final advisories tomorrow at some point once this moves further away from the coastline. There will still be some residual effects from flooding and uh, storm surge. In fact, some of the, the tropical storm or the ET surge models show uh, reaching high hat values or high astronomical tide values at Duck Pier, North Carolina, other parts up into uh, the Chesapeake Bay, still reaching flooding potentials. And then after this, I think after this point tomorrow, we're going <clears> to <throat> start to sort of normalize over time. It may take a little while for these waters to recede, but uh, we're going to see these, these these flooding potentials start to, to dwindle very quickly. Uh, going back to the NHC map, uh, I want to make a quick mention about Lee. This one actually dissipated into a remnant low and then came back. And this is like the little engine that could. And now it's a major hurricane uh, or major category three hurricane. Um, let me see if I can find the imagery for it. And this is a very, very small storm. I don't want to put too much time into this, but you can see how very, very small it is. Uh, you could you could fit. I think someone did the numbers the other day inside of Maria. You could fit about eight of these inside of Maria. <laughs> And uh, very small, but a very robust eye. Uh, it's not going to affect anybody, but it just goes to show in this area of the Atlantic that the waters are still warm enough to support uh, this type of storm. And it's getting fairly close to Bermuda, but we think this is going to take more of a north track starting tomorrow and then head off to the northeast. Uh, so no threats any, anywhere there. But Maria, still very much uh, a very wide wind field. You can see the convection wrapping around the east side, which is where some of the strongest winds are. Uh, the western side is, has a lot of dry air, and things are starting to clear out for the Outer Banks right now. The winds are still up a bit, but uh, and the tide and the surge and the waves and everything are still up. But I think conditions will start to improve tomorrow night into Thursday for sure, or I'm sorry, into Friday. Uh, and we'll, start, we'll see things quickly improving in that area. And with that, I will give it back to you, Scotty. Thank you, Shay. And then I guess uh, this time next week, we'll maybe even talking about some disturbance in the uh, Caribbean. So... Uh, the tropics are not totally done yet. No, nope, that's that's right. Um, we're watching one little area. I'll go back to the screen share because I meant to show this as well. Um, let me go back to here. 
I'm just running a, a quick GFS model. And since it, since it is such a, a short time out, uh, we go into time. There's a little area on the NHC map right here, just below Cuba. And this is going to be sliding north across uh, up into the, the Bahamas. Uh, very low chance, 10 to 20%. And what happens is this, this energy sort of transfers to the north here. And then we get this big area of high pressure building over the Great Lakes and then sliding east. Uh, when you get low pressure to the south and a large ridge to the north, sometimes that can add some sort of top spin to these storms and get something moving. If this area of low pressure develops, uh, we could be looking at some kind of possible tropical activity attempting to develop down in this way. Um, GFS doesn't make much of it. It looks like just a rather strong coastal low is about it with that high pressure up top. But just an area we need to watch. You know, we still have 64 days left in the hurricane season. So, you know, we're not out of the woods and, and we still have warm water all around. Um, I think the areas where Jose and Maria have gone through have now cooled significantly, but the Caribbean is very, very warm. It's very ripe. In fact, some of the highest uh, tropical heat cyclone potential or uh, that we've seen in a long time since 2005, actually, because it's September 9th. But uh, anyways, you know, we still have warm Gulf waters, warm Caribbean waters, and uh, parts of the Atlantic as well. Once these waters fill back in, um, you know, the, the good thing is that these big storms that have gone through there have really churned up the surface so that the cool water upwelling has occurred. And, and it looks like it would take quite a bit to get that water really warm again to, to fuel anything uh, major for, for the time being, at least for the immediate future. So that's it. Uh, I'll, I'll leave leave it there for the tropics for now. I think we're okay for a little while, though, Scotty. All right. Thank you, Shay. And I'll quickly uh, toss it over to Eric in Memphis tonight. Eric, how's things going over in the uh, Mississippi River area? Pretty good. Can you guys hear me okay? We got you. Sorry, I didn't get a mic check beforehand. Glad to join you guys. And good evening, Trevor. Good to see you on tonight as well. <clears throat> Everything looks uh, pretty good. We're actually improving over here on the western side of Tennessee. We had a cold front today, uh, and uh, that's uh, finally bringing an end to our 90-degree temperatures and uh, upper 60s to near 70 dew points. Summer uh, was was not around for a good part of the summer, but it came back in September, and uh, we're ready to be over with. So looking like 80 for the next few days, dry weather, dew points drying out. So uh, looking pretty good. We could use some rain, but uh, it's it's few and far between with the very little uh, moisture with this front. So we'll just take the cooler weather. I think that's a common theme between everybody that's talked tonight is we could use some rain. So maybe we can uh... – Maybe in the next few uh, weeks we can uh, get some uh, some moisture into the areas of the southeast. So let's uh, bring in Trevor tonight. Trevor, uh, again, works at the National Weather Service in the Austin, San, San Antonio, Texas area. Trevor is also uh, chair of the National Weather Association Social Media Committee, and he won the uh, member of the award this past uh, last week at the uh, National Weather Association annual meeting out in California. So Trevor, welcome uh, to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you tonight. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your show, guys. This is, this is going to be fun. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. Your first time uh, guest for us, Trevor. So what we like to do with all our first time guests is do the typical question. How did you get interested into this crazy career that we call uh, meteorology? <laughs> uh, pretty easy. I was born in a place where there was no weather, which is coincidentally where NWA uh, was located in Orange County, California. I was born there. Um, so I got used to seeing sunsets every night. Um, and uh, a whole lot, almost no clouds except for in the morning. Had a whole lot of clouds, and then it would go away, and that was the weather that we had. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty much like that all the time. And so it was uh, when I moved to Texas when I was like seven years old. Uh, we were under 20 morning, first week living here. And then 
uh, I was petrified. I did not know that nature did that. I didn't know why I was so mad. And uh, I've spent about three, four years being really, really scared of the weather. And then saw my first tornado, and that was just awe-inspiring. It was the Gerald F5 tornado day. I didn't see the Gerald F5 in uh, South Central Texas, but I did see one of the other tornadoes that happened in Cedar Park. And so when I saw that, uh, I was pretty much sold after that. It went from fast, just being scared, being fascinated to here's what I'm doing today. <laughs> Very cool. So talk to us about um, college, where you went to college, and then how you got uh, uh, associated with the National Weather Service. I went to college, both undergraduate and graduate degrees, at uh, Texas Tech University. Uh, my undergraduate degree was in geophysics because they didn't have a meteorology degree there, but um, it was Tech was very gracious in giving me you know, funding and things like that to be able to go because both my parents were, weren't able to pay for college. So um, it was more of a, I, if I'm going to go to a school, I need to go to the ones that can give me funding, and, and Tech was the most gracious with that. So I uh, got a background in actually seismology as an undergrad and uh, didn't know that my education in that was going to parallel um, atmospheric sciences as much as it does. A lot of the remote sensing that you learn in, as an undergrad, uh, 3D wave equations, wave propagation theory, electromagnetism, all the physics, calculus, all of that is required to do a geophysics major. And so um, I used that. And actually, we actually worked as a seismic scout for and uh, for a summer, and then got my degree as a master's uh, at, at, uh, at Texas Tech, and got to be part of Vortex during that process, Vortex 2. And so, um, got a, it, it, I really couldn't have asked for a more fortunate situation. I was at the right place at the right time, and uh, it all worked out real great. Very cool. So, uh, being at the National Weather Service, you've been kind of uh, one of the uh, the pioneers of, of bringing social media to, to light to a lot of people. So, uh, as we talk tonight of, about communicating with uh, different populations uh, and diverse crowds, uh, what inspired you uh, to to want to focus on on social media and then how to get uh, the word out? Uh, you know, normally. People get their weather information through a weather radio or, or the broadcast meteorologist, but uh, social media has taken over in, in so many aspects. Uh, what made you want to focus on that and get the word out uh, to different populations? Uh, a combination of things. Again, right, kind of the right place at the right time. Uh, I came into the Weather Service January 2011, and it was right about that time that the Weather Service adopted both Facebook and Twitter. And at, I was even involved on Twitter around in 2011 I believe I joined the next year 2012 and um, and so I kind of had to learn it because uh, the office I was at in Nashville at the time um, I uh, didn't really know much about how to make it work and I had an opportunity to be a focal point or a program leader as an intern and you don't always get an opportunity to do that or get to choose one and so I did a lot of research on how Facebook works and how to make it a good communication tool. I did a lot of research with advertisement or advertisers and um, was able to at least come up with a local strategy. Um, and then it was really just kind of asking around after that. It was, hey, how are you guys using it in this office? How are you guys using it? Picking up some ideas and kind of putting them together. And um, fast forward five, six years later, and it's graphics generation. It's trying to stay on top of all the changes for social media, it, it's been more of a necessity than anything else. And so the more and more you see the iterations of how social media evolves, the more you evolve and how you're able to communicate those things. And, and uh, I've learned quite a bit about how to just communicate all together just by seeing how people do so on social media. 
It would help if I would unmute my microphone. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, you, you're talking about graphics, and uh, you know you do a lot of work with, with the deaf population, uh, and some of those graphics uh, that, that all of us are notorious for, something like when thunder roars go indoors and things like that. How uh, successful are those, and then how, how can we improve on those as not everybody is able to hear or maybe not able to see things. Talk to us a little bit about that and how your studies have shown how we need to use multiple ways to communicate with people. Yeah, it, uh, I think that in the weather community altogether, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what would be best for the group or what would be best for everyone to understand. And, and that makes sense. I mean, logically, you're trying to go to some, you're, you're trying to come up with a solution for a graphic, whether it's for hurricanes or whether it's for tornadoes or whether it's for severe weather outlooks or whatever it is, you're trying to come up with something that the majority of everybody can understand. And um, when you put these together, you're generating it so that you can understand it. And you forget a lot of things that you take for granted. Uh, for instance, not being able to see. That's a great example. Um, how would you generate a graphic for somebody that can't see? And then you start to go, well, I'm thinking about this all wrong. I'm thinking of, I need to think about how a message can be received in every way, not just visually. And then when uh, you, if you take the deaf and hard of hearing as an example, why would that change how you interpret what would be on a graphic? And um, just by, I, I, I had a minor in deaf culture to go along with uh, my major. And uh, that was just sort of something I wanted to do because I had a general interest in it, sort of a hobby. And uh, when I came in, I, I started to understand, especially being experienced in the deaf culture, that when people were born deaf, that they didn't learn to read phonetically like people that are hearing. So think about when you had said, when Thunder Wars go indoors, obviously that's not a great slogan for the deaf population. But as you think about why beyond the fact that it's asking you to listen to the thunder, it also rhymes. And if you're somebody who's deaf, then that convention doesn't make a lot of sense because you will what a rhyme is is just a word that sounds like another word, and so the how, why it, it it rings to us the why it's so catchy is not something that's even effective in uh, the fully functionally deaf community, and so it makes you revisit all of your graphics. Should I be putting text on there at all if I can avoid it? What kind of common words that are also translatable that have a sign that something that they would learn because a sign equals a concept that they would understand. So. You can explain all sorts of complex things in ASL, but not every sign in English or every English word has a sign. And so I think about that now when I generate any graphic or put out some sort of tweet or something like that. So obviously I'm a little biased on the deaf side, having been involved in the culture, but I'm learning things about um, you know, colorblindness. Even yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I made a tweet and said, this graphic is fantastic. Look, it's real simple and you can understand it in 10 seconds. And then one of my colleagues, Matt Bolton, who educates me every day, he said, except if you're colorblind. And then he pointed out if you had a red green colorblind, colorblindness, how difficult it is to look at that same graphic. And so I learn about these things and these challenges every day. And I, the more I learn about it, the more I realize how much more work we can do. Trevor, you, you um, mentioned the uh, the deaf community as being kind of the first area you started kind of exploring. Where, where did that, uh, did you have something that draws you to that particular um, that particular community or what, what led you there first? Uh, it's actually a funny story. In high school, I met a girl and I thought she was pretty and um, I couldn't talk to her because she was deaf. I didn't know how to speak to her. 
So while we were, I was in seventh grade at the time, and that was when you started getting into whether you're going to take a foreign language. So I was like, I like that girl. She's pretty. And so I decided instead of taking Spanish, I would take sign language so I could learn how to talk to her, at least say hi. Well, only to find out that hi is just hi. I could have done that without learning sign. But um, in that process of taking sign, we had to go to the Texas School for the Deaf for a mandatory uh, field trip both semesters. And I got there and I just fell in love with the school. It was one of those places where, you know, I am a pretty expressive, animated person. Anybody who knows me personally knows that. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm cracking jokes. I'm, I'm really animated. And the deaf culture is one where that's a necessity to communicate is being able to communicate with your facial expressions, body language, almost all of the uh, of the uh, language is built in the non-vocabulary. And so I get to go to a place where I get to fully express everything, my emotions, everything. And it's really kind of liberating to be in that culture and, and see what it's like. And, and to realize you can have much more, I would say even more so of a rich language because you have that other element, that emotional element to it. And uh, from that point forward, I was like, I, I'm hooked. I, I would like to keep being a part of this culture. And I never really put one and one together that I could also do something for the community as it pertains to my interests. And so it's one of those things I'm learning now when I'm talking to new people that are trying to figure out how to make their niche in the weather community. It's like, think about your hobby. I, it happened for me. It, think about how you, and the weather impacts everything. So if you can figure out a way to make that hobby weather, uh, get the weather involved in that, you, you can, you can, you're just going to have fun. And, and that's what I get to do now when I work with the deaf and hard of hearing. I get to learn a language, and I get to have fun while I'm uh, also still doing what I love to do. So we we have you know we have what weather ready ambassadors, which is a great plug. The Carolina Weather Group is one of them. But uh, how do you work with with maybe companies or organizations and maybe come together so you both of your forces can come together and, and help? this this big commu uh, community that that folks you know everyday broadcast meteorologists may not think about hey you know I, I need to reach out to this population or that population yeah uh, that's a great point too because the Texas School for the Deaf and now Gallaudet University of uh, Washington DC is the national university for uh, deaf and hard, the deaf and hard of hearing they're both weather radiation ambassadors and that's not a coincidence uh, we we came out to the, we, we asked them if we if they would like to be uh, weather any nation ambassador mostly because we really could use their help and it's it's not something where uh we go okay well it would be great if you were it's this is a partnership this is an agreement between the two between the weather community and these institutions to continue to try to make their community resilient that doesn't mean make the entire country resilient weather any nation often sometimes people think that means that okay well gallaudet now has to do stuff for the entire country well not necessarily it might just be they have a population of people they serve. So how can we fit weather preparedness and safety messaging and all sorts of things like that into the community that we, the hearing weather community, doesn't know how to do? So they have resources. They have uh, education. They have things that awareness that we didn't know about. I mean, I've learned just partnering with these, these institutions like the Texas School for the Deaf, for instance. I've learned so much about how to approach the population when I already thought I did. And so just having that back and forth, having an open dialogue and having that partnership is absolutely essential if you're going to truly do the Weather Ready Nation because you can't get Weather Ready Nation concepts to the entire country without diving into these sub uh, uh, cultures and the categories that, they're, that these exist in. 
So if you're going to just try to blanket the entire country, you're not going to be successful. Not everybody's going to hear this. But if you truly get down into the weeds, get into the community level with these things, you actually end up seeing a whole bunch of different returns on your investment. And that's, that's one of the really exciting things about working with this community is that they've taken the see a flash dash sign and they've actually implemented it on campus. That, that to me makes me think that if I've done one thing right. <laughs> and so if, if, I, if that was my contribution, and then I feel like I was at least a part of the Weather Ready Nation. And I think that's what it's all about. So Trevor, you and I talked a little bit last night <clears throat> about outreach and how you're actually, how the weather service is physically going out and, and speaking with the public. Uh, I know that the uh, storm spotter training that you, that you guys provide is one outlet. How, are there any other outlets that you use to convey messages to the public to get more feedback, basically to get the public involved in what you're doing? Give us a little bit of idea on that. Yeah. So you know, Skyward, uh, excuse me, Skyward spotting is one way. Um, it's probably the most popular way because people can come in and they walk away with um, a, a skill. But I've started back into the social media discussion. I've, I've sort of taken that idea and thought about um, while working with other people that are really adamant about doing, you know, communication. There's there's tons of people, especially in the spotter ranks, that when they go to a spotter training, they want more. They're not satisfied with the basic training. So they've got there's now advanced level training at a lot of different offices that have offered these things that get into some of the you know different variables you might not otherwise have heard of in a basic training like you know convective available potential energy, publicity, the tools that we would use in order to do a general forecast. So they really, really like that. But even there's a subcategory in there that want to be even more involved, want to be true public service, figure out how can I help save lives. And I think that's where, uh, you know, that's kind of actually how Eric and I know each other is getting into this concept of virtual operations support teams, where you can actually take individuals that are that not, might not necessarily be professionals in meteorology, but they do not provide a service. They have a following. They, there's people that trust them in weather communication. And so I've been very proud of being able to get some of these virtual operations support teams uh, up and running in the in the uh, in the spotter community. And so that, that's very, I think it's very exciting to see these these uh, groups that are maybe just began as a Twitter account, but then they've been brought into the office, they've been trained, they come, they're, they're, they've built a relationship, they have chat access even, and then they get information directly fed to them so that they can communicate that to the local level and, and provide not just the, the uh, weather, the, the warning information, but hyper-specific information that the end user can get, which is really what the public is looking for. So it's been pretty exciting figuring out a way to take the broad weather service message, the 30,000-foot view, and being able to dissect it and compartmentalize it into the local level. And so finding out a way to do that, that that's, that's pretty cool to actually see ha ha happen. So you talked about Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you know, we, we brought this this subject up on the show several times about varying opinions on what how to use social media. Uh, you you've studied algorithms. You've actually really taken the time to to understand how Facebook works and Twitter works. Uh, for the for the viewers, the Twitter world in meteorology is huge. Uh, a lot of us communicate with each other in Twitter, and it's it's a massive sort of effort for everyone to share their information, anything new that they can provide, any help they can give. They throw it out there and we all look at it and we look at some days we're more proactive, some days we're less active as far as getting the word out ourselves. Some days we say, all right, we're going to take this information and, and uh, sort of design our own you know, outlook for, for what's going on. But 
Tell us a little bit about the relationship between the various social media outlets. I mean, now you guys have Periscope, which is global all at once. Facebook and Twitter both have their algorithms that don't always reach everyone in the public. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've, I've been looking, the more I learn about uh, Facebook's algorithm, the more I realize it's probably not the most appropriate uh, platform for short fuse type stuff. Um, I've used an analogy in previous uh, uh, talks that I've done on social media that Facebook's like a billboard. It's it's something that you throw. It, it, let's, let's, let's take the analogy of a pool party. If you were to go to a pool party, you see the flyer of whoever's hosting it up on the billboard. And it's got the information that you need about when you need to be there. It, it says what you're supposed to bring, the directions on how to get there, and who's coming. So all the details that you need pertaining to that one event. But Twitter is the actual party itself. That's the conversations taking place. That's where you went at, on that Saturday. You didn't go back to Facebook on the, up to the billboard and on the day of the party and go, oh, where is everybody? Because that's where the information is being pinned up to. But over here on Twitter, that's where the conversations are taking place. That's where the interactions are taking place. That's the party. So it's not a coincidence that there seems to be a shift when when you go from preparedness and forecast information on Facebook to Twitter defining almost all of the conversation while the event's taking place. Now, I should say that it's a little outdated with analogy because Facebook Live sort of breaks through the rules. And so Facebook Live now doesn't really follow the typical algorithm rule. And it once you start broadcasting, it sends notifications to you that, hey, somebody's broadcasting right now. So in the weather community, this is extremely useful. Because now, all of a sudden, you have a way to navigate through the algorithm and get the information that needs to be said now to you now. That's the whole point. And so it's been very helpful, but I have to keep putting on my deaf and hard of hearing hat and then sit here and go, where's the caption? Where's the population that's able to use that? It's highly effective, but is it effective for everyone? And so it becomes this question that we have to answer, and hopefully technology will advance to the point where we can solve that problem and, and provide captioning. But at the moment, that's kind of the big elephant in the room with streaming services is that it's not completely accessible. And, you know, one of the problems that I noticed with Twitter um, is that you'll get a lot of situations where you're going to have 140 characters or 280 if you're one of the chosen ones. And... Um, but you only get 140 characters and often what you'll see is you'll see somebody write something like Apple notes, you put together a graphic and you'll stick that graphic up on Twitter, shoot it up there and say, okay, you're deaf, your deaf community, you're fine, but you're, but you're blind, you're, you're blind community. Now mm -hmm. there's no screen reader that can get at that. They're not that good. And so, and, and so Twitter has this hidden option to do um, alternative text and, but it's hidden. Not every client supports it. And it's very inconvenient to get that in there. So I, I think it's definitely double-edged sword as far as that goes. Yeah, and, and that's what we're sort of learning when, when we start to take on this vulnerable populations discussion. And there's a lot of people who say, well, well, where do you draw the line? It's I don't think I think that's kind of the wrong way to think about it. I think you need to start identifying that there's these varying obstacles for everyone and understand that one graphic does not fit all. It never will. So what we need to start figuring out how to do is efficiently and practically do the best that we can by diversifying our message but staying consistent. And that's, and that's the most important thing is that you can't lose the consistency in the message of the forecast, especially when you're doing something like 
uh, hurt, like hurricane landfall. You need to be consistent with that message, but it needs to be diverse in the ways that it goes out. And case in point is that when you end up having, uh, like you saw with Harvey and Irma, anytime that there was a public address for evacuations, there was somebody talking, there was captioning if you enabled it, and there was an interpreter. So from that standpoint of mm -hmm. diverse ways to communicate the same message, I think that FEMA did it right. They're, they're the local emergency management groups that actually put that together. So I'd love to see more of that, but not necessarily only when it's evacuation time. It'd be good to be able to start doing that in the proactive time. And then from that standpoint, you know, might be able to help some more people be proactive. They don't have to rely on those communication things when the time comes. They already know what to do. They're prepared for it. Yeah, I can say South Carolina, I'm pretty proud of. We, we have uh, the guy that does... He does the sign language. He's he's actually called Rockstar, um, and and he's he's highly regarded, and he does a great job. And he's in the governor's mm -hmm. office. They come out, they do their their speeches on whether or not we're going to do evacuations or what the situation is with SCDOT. Uh, I can't speak for other states, but I tell you what, it's really impressive to see that kind of uh, action going on and, and how effective it is all the way around, and how well they're they're regarded in, in those yeah. senses. I think the one of the coolest things is I was I think uh, I was sitting in our office watching both. Um, both cases, both in Harvey and Irma, when they were doing their addresses. And I remember getting in conversation, uh, you know, a lot of my coworkers know that I know some science. So they're always like, yeah, what's he saying up there? Like, well, he's saying what the person's saying. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the same. They're just interpreting for the, what you're hearing right now, remember? <laughs> so it's always funny to hear about that. But the other thing is that they're like, wow, I'm really, I mean, he's really concerned. Apparently, you know, it's really serious, whatever you're signing about. I'm like, yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? How you can convey seriousness without even understanding the the language that's being said, or that's being assigned there. So I mean, like it's it's fascinating how how effective a true like a really good interpreter can be because they're conveying so much more than just the words. They're they're conveying the uh, the uh, seriousness of the event. And I wonder if there would be a way for I hadn't thought about this until just now. But I wonder if there's a way that in, in we can learn something from the sign community or the ASL community about conveying uncertainty. Because you can tell by how uncertain or certain somebody is here. So if there's visual representation of whether or not you are certain or uncertain in a situation, then that might actually help in your communication. So it might be something we can take a page out of the book of the ASL. So talk a little bit about, and I'm, I don't want to take, take away from other questions here. Um, we're getting on about 8.52 now. Uh, but talk about some of the language that the NHC and the Weather Service uses to emphasize seriousness or non-seriousness of their forecasts. Yeah, with this one, it was a particular challenge. Um, it, it, it started at the point when we started to see all the models start to agree, and you're seeing values that, as a forecaster, you're, you just don't feel comfortable saying. <laughs> when you're talking about 40 inches of rain, and yet, usually in those situations, it's like one rogue model or one ensemble run, right? you know, that might end up being giving you the values. But when you're seeing kind of everything converge to those values, you're not even sure how you would convey it because you haven't seen this before. And it, was, it started to get to a challenge where how do you communicate something that's unprecedented? Do you say unprecedented? Is that the right word to use? And then how do you graduate this appropriately so that people aren't panicking, but at the same time, understanding the seriousness of the event. And this is the challenge you get with just text altogether, with just words, is that the way that it's going to be going to be interpreted is going to go up to a broadcaster somewhere. It's going to go to uh, a text product someplace. It's going to be disseminated to your phone. 
it's going to be all these different places. And are they going to be equally as understood in all of those different mediums? Probably not. In fact, we know that they're not. And so when it comes to how NHC approached it and how the Weather Service approached the wording, it was very careful. It was very coordinated, too. We wanted to make sure we remember the key messages that NHC just kept putting out there. And you notice that those key messages were reflected in each local office. They spent a lot of time uh, before the hurricane season started coordinating these, these graphics and, and, and coming up with a strategy about how we're going to communicate uh, beforehand, which is ex very exceptional. The fact that we are doing this proactively and knowing that when, this, when the time comes, we're going to communicate it this way. This is going to be the, the person that leads this, or this is going to be the, the group that leads it. And then from there, we're going to echo that so that we're staying consistent. We have our local diversity, but at the same time, we're getting the same messages out so everybody understands it, or at least as many as possible. Yeah, so speaking of the, the um, uh, you know, unprecedented and the, the types of language you use, I mean, you're even, with this, with this instance, you're even getting to a way of how the graphics are being depicted. You're changing color scales that didn't exist, you know, the precipitation total color scales because, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, it wasn't fathomed that you would have this kind of, uh, this kind of an event that would, that would require you to do that. So I, I thought that was really interesting, too, and, and a nice pivot, I think, by, you know, the Weather Service to recognize that and not just put out something that's uh, all pink because everything was over 16 inches or, you know, whatever yeah. that might be. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you um, also about uh, just to pivot a little bit on, on one other uh, population, diverse population that I think in, in many cases is vulnerable as well. And I know you deal with it down there in San Antonio, and that's Hispanics. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, an, another another way of trying to communicate to those who, who don't understand maybe the traditional message. So what are you guys doing uh, down there in San Antonio or what, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of projects are underway to, to reach that population a little better? Well, a number of things. Uh, we have two Spanish speakers in our office, our MIC Joe Ariano, and then also our another journey, Orlando Bermudez, who was actually deployed to Puerto Rico for, um, I think it was Irma. And, uh, and so he was brought out there specifically for being yet another Spanish speaker. Uh, he's from that area, too. He's been in that office before, so his expertise is highly valued. Um, and, and so uh, what we're doing in the local level, we share a border with Mexico. Uh, we, have, we go all the way up to Del Rio, to the Rio Grande. So we have a large population of folks that uh, are Spanish speakers and that use our products. So, um, so some of the things that uh, Orlando has done is he's actually gone out and done school talks totally in Spanish. He's done all sorts of outreach. He's actually done partnerships with Univision and, um, and Telemundo on broadcast, basically an IWT with the, uh, with the uh, Spanish broadcasters in our area and statewide. So there's been plenty of outreach from our office, but uh, recently we've actually adopted, again, the virtual operations support team concept to within the weather service and a team called MOS, which is Multimedia Assistance in Spanish. And so for offices that may not have Spanish speakers, we have, you know, gotten together with volunteers throughout the southern region of Spanish speakers and all sorts of different offices, not necessarily just the ones that are, uh, you know, bordering with uh, a Hispanic uh, country. So they've all gotten together. There's a team of them now. I think there's 10, 15 of them. And what they do is they get activated. So in the case of Irma, that we activated this team that were able to translate the, the messaging, the graphics, all of this on the fly for the offices that don't have that capability. And so they were able to end up pushing out Spanish uh, language uh, graphics and, and tw uh, tweets and Facebook messages and everything because this team was able to help uh, remotely from other places. 
and uh, I think that's that's really cool that we're able to sort of innovate um, within the working paradigm that we have to, to so that somebody in like Amarillo or El Paso is able to lend a hand when Irma's making landfall. That's really pretty cool. Phenomenal. Great work. Our buddy Will from uh, Nash Severe Weather is watching tonight, and he says uh, he really likes your spinning helmet there, Trevor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got the, that's the Texas Tech. That's the playing Oklahoma State this weekend, but uh, that's the helmet that floats so on a magnet, so it just always perpetually spins, which is my brother got me that for Christmas, and I thought it was one of the coolest gifts I've ever gotten. So anytime I do a show, I try to put that back there so people will be like, hey, what's that? And be like, oh, Tech. Um, my question is, I, I know we were talking about Harvey, um, uh, just, just a quick perspective from your office. I mean, I know you guys wasn't directly there on the coast and, and didn't see the big storm surge and, and the wind and stuff, but you, you did see some rain in your area. So talk to us quickly about, uh, the, the preparation going into that week and, and what you guys experienced is, uh, I think you're pulling some, uh, 12 hour shifts day after day after day. Yeah, we did. It was uh, it was one of those times where I was thinking, okay, I wonder if I'll be here long enough to see an actual major landfalling hurricane. Um, and I did. And uh, it was new for me. Very new experience. I came from, my two previous offices were Lubbock and Nashville, so both of which are not coastal offices. Um, so when I approached it, I came in, you know, trained. I had the training, but I have yet to have to ever put it in practice. So there was a lot of learning uh, while you're there. But uh, our office is in a unique position because we had a role in both Harvey and Irma. We were, um, for Harvey, we were the backup office for Corpus, and there was a very real opportunity for us to uh, have to back them up because they're taking on the eyewall, basically, um, of, of Harvey. So there was a real chance. In fact, there was a short period of time where we were getting spun up to back them up. And, um, and so we were on ready to go. And while we were staffed up and ready to go, we also had flash flood warnings and, and river floods that were going on in our CWA. So we had to be not only ready to take care of the stuff that's going on in our area, but we had to be ready to take on everything going on in Corpus at the same time. So talking about being on edge, we were, we were ready to go, but that was going to be a challenge if we had to do it. But luckily, you know, Corpus was able to keep themselves going. They were they're on generator power and they were barely hanging on, but they, they persevered through it. They were able to do the job that they did, which was outstanding. I'm very glad we weren't put in a position where we had to do that, but, uh, but it was, it was uh, very interesting. And then with Irma, uh, we ended up having to go through a quaternary backup, which we backed up uh, Key West. <laughs> so we've never had to do that before. So we, we had just got done with uh, having to go through, uh, you know, Harvey and we were, we were very sophisticated in our backup, thanks to our team, Aaron Treadway, John Sullivan, uh, Jason Runyon, and Nick Hampshire. They, they spun up a backup office and got us ready to do Key West. So as far as we may not have taken a direct hit on either case, but we were involved with both, so we're just as tired. We didn't have the we didn't get it personally affected, but we were we were on and ready to go for both cases. I was going to say that. I was wanting to see if you was going to comment about uh, backing up the Key West office. Uh, and and talk maybe a little bit about, you know, you don't necessarily know the area of Key West. I mean, you may have visited and things like that, but don't know the, the ins and outs. Well, did that present any uh, difficulty, or is it just kind of not say smooth sailing, but kind of just like you would be doing it uh, in your regular office? It's not like doing it in your regular office, no. Um, there's a lot of things you kind of have to learn on the fly. When we do backups uh, for Corpus, 
uh, we actually do a, a primary, secondary, and tertiary office. So um, we do routine practice backups for them on regular weather days and sometimes low end weather days so that we can understand, you know, go through the motions and the novology and, uh, you know, call partners even and, uh, and go through and doing this. We didn't get a chance to do that with QS because we only spun up a couple of days before. So we had everything we needed on paper, but having to go through all that, like knowing what county they live in, for instance, uh, knowing uh, which social media partners that they use, um, knowing how they do social media, because their strategy may be very different for an island area versus an inland Texas office. So um, the you learn, we had to learn a lot on the fly. And what we also had to learn is how to do, how to communicate and message for another office post a catastrophe. So that, that was something that there's really not that much, there's not guidance for, there's not like a way to, you know, be, okay, we go to page this and this is how you deal with the situation. It's, it's something we learned and we're going to continue learning with or having our hot washes and, and post event discussions as it is right now about what did we learn? How can we do this better? And, uh, while we succeeded in this and making sure that everything happened and uh, everything got done, there's certainly ways that we can improve, and that's what we're really interested in doing now. And now that we don't have the hurricane to deal with, how can we do this forward? How can we make this better? How can we make this easier and more efficient? So it's a little bit after 9 o'clock. If you are watching here at the Carolina Weather Group, we have Trevor Boucher on from the National Weather Service in Austin in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we've been talking about how to communicate with a diverse population. So if you're just now joining us, make sure that uh, you uh, tune in on our YouTube or uh, listen to the podcast. But now I want to kind of transition into, uh, Trevor, you are associated with the NWA. You're a social media uh, committee member. But you also uh, was uh, awarded the uh, member of the year last week. Talk to us a little bit about that and how much of an honor that is to be recognized by your, your peers. Yeah, I'm glad you asked because uh, I'll tell you how I felt when that happened. Uh, in fact, some people are still making fun of me for it because I was doing the Facebook Live for uh, the awards. Uh, and you can still see this on Facebook, on the NWA's Facebook page. And I'm sitting right behind the phone and I'm trying to get a good angle of the people shaking hands and everything. And uh, the, the luncheon is about two hours, so you know you go through a lot of announcements, and you go through all the awards. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to do something that gets me up on that stage that somebody, uh, you know, recognizes me for. I've only been in a professional meteorologist for five or six years, so to so to think that I have done something that warrants. Well, I think his. Um, I think we got lost the connection there. We'll see if he hops back on here in just a second. Uh, I'll hit him up on an email, and um, we'll get him back on here. Give me a second to do. His uh, his his peers are watching, and they cut the cord. They're like, "That's it. Can't talk about yourself anymore." So, uh, but some uh, some interesting, uh, you know, things that they that that Trevor's doing there, Eric. I think he mentioned earlier that you and him uh, have done some work uh, as well together. Yeah, we've um, I got to know him actually through and and here comes Nashville coming back into the senior, but um, but he he uh, was instrumental in helping to get the T spotter program going there uh, in the Nashville area with uh, David and Will in the NWS office, and um, you know we we uh, had opportunities there to kind of benchmark and and I had set up a similar program here in Memphis um, to to kind of do the same thing. Uh, you know, partnering with the weather service here in Memphis and sending in reports from social media and stuff, just like they were doing there in Nashville. So we got to know each other through that. And, 
knew at that point he was definitely uh, going to be a, a quick riser in the in the weather service. He's definitely doing some great work. We may have him back. We'll see. Okay. I think he's trying to get in now. Give him a second. I know he's he's toggling between his, his desktop and his laptop. He got better camera action from his desktop. But I think that, that he said that might get compromised during the show. Uh, so he may come back on his laptop here. Wait and see. And Will's Will's jumped right back in from there National. There he too. is. <laughs> Will says the internet got tired of Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Val, are you back on your laptop this time? Yeah, I told you that I might have that happen. For some reason, my internet connection with my desktop, they, they don't get along. Okay, so, so you were saying, let's continue. You were saying yeah. you were on where Facebook Live, and um, they were getting ready to recognize you. And you. Oh, yeah. And so you can kind of see me just like this, like, mm, I wonder who this person is. And then I and then it, I see my name, and I'm like, oh, what? Wait, that can't be right. Like, <laughs> what did I do? And and I had this this thought, and I've been thinking about it ever since, that I have literally just went through a whole week of meteorologists that I wish that I had the clarity that they do. I wish that I had the competency that they do with seeing all the work that they're doing. I'm just blown away by seeing that people are able, able to quantifiably prove. I saw a presentation where somebody showed with statistics that if you add a little humanity to your social media uh, tweets and posts, that you have an exponential return on your investment when it comes to its its, its engagement. I mean, the, the fact I'm blown away by that. I was blown away by the the research that shows that, uh, um, well, all of it. I can't even pick on one. I, the whole week I'm sitting here going, man, I hope that I get to a place where I'm this good at this. And then being admiring as my peers as much as I as I do, and seeing that they just went through what we all just went through. We went through Harvey and Irma and some people's families are displaced and their homes are gone. And, and then to see me be recognized by this group of amazing people, I didn't know what to say. I, I had no idea that the little contribution that I've had thus far would be enough to be recognized by my peers. And that, that's something that is just astonishing. When I, I hope that it happens to everybody that they, they realize that, Hey, if you ever have that self-doubt that you're in the right place, that maybe you're not supposed to be, maybe you chose the wrong path, or maybe, am I supposed to be here? Am I doing the right thing? That's, that's the moment I knew that I was in the right community and the right family, and I, I knew that I'm doing the right thing. And that's, that's just something that I can't even describe to you. So, yes, honored is a word. It's not the best way to describe it because it's way more than that, but we'll go with that for now. <laughs> Trevor, you're you're a very unique person, and I'm and the weather service is very lucky to have you. So keep up the good work. Thank you, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, I agree with Shay. Uh, it is a little bit after nine, so uh, Trevor, one last question about NWA. Uh, I, I was following along on Twitter. Uh, so many great uh, things coming out of the conference, but if you had to pick a couple of things that that really stood out to you uh, from last week, what what would they be? Uh, from last week, I, I, I think some of the things was, I think the recurring theme, theme was be, be a person, be a human, uh, add a little compassion and you'll get a reward on that. I, I, I just talked about that talk. Uh, um, and I think that was from Dan Hoblitzel and, and I was blown away by that, but the people we're working with, the people in this community, not just weather service, not just broadcasters, everybody, they're doing such great stuff. And so 
Um, I, I can remember a talk by Laura Pagano, uh, I'm sorry, Laura Pagano, that uh, I was just astonished by how well she was able to, you know, present her work and, and then uh, seeing Rich Grum do a talk about the history of Penn State, that was pretty awesome. And their, their, uh, their partnership with State College and, and uh, I mean, there's so many, but I would suggest if you, don't, if you get an opportunity, the, the social media committee put together a Storify summary of all the tweets that occurred every day. Um, on the hashtag NWAS17. So I would suggest people go to that and, and take a look because there's a lot of things there that it's just gold. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. Well, Trevor, we appreciate you being on tonight. Stick around as uh, we uh, get ready to head into Tweet of the Week. But uh, I do want to express uh, our thanks to you and everything that you're doing in the weather community, not only uh, there in the San Antonio area, but but everywhere. Uh, we appreciate the hard work. And, and that uh, reward you got last week was very well-deserved. Thank you. Thank you so much. I <laughs> appreciate that. All right, guys. We'll, uh, we'll head to Tweet to the Week. So uh, has anybody got theirs fired up yet? I haven't, uh, I haven't got mine yet, Peter. Looks like you unclicked your mic first. So. <laughs> oh, so I get – yeah, all right. <laughs> you get to go so, first. <laughs> all right. Well, I got a uh, – why not start with a good one while we're here. Uh, we always mention Helicity Designs. Uh, every so often, and uh, I thought, you know, for for you ladies out there, they got some new shoes uh, that you can pick out there. We got some snowflakes and some radars, hook echoes there, uh, available for fifty nine dollars on the website. They also have uh, raindrops too. So, uh, any guys out there that want to give your lady some weather gear, why not go to helicitydesigns dot com? There you go. Spend some money on your gal. So I, I just thought of a really good uh, reward for anybody that goes into Patreon. <laughs> Maybe we ought to have somebody model. <laughs> there you go. See, we'll, we'll let uh, we'll let Peter model those while he's eating the cinnamon. Oh right yeah, up. why not? <laughs> oh wow, look great with uh, a haircut. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, we'll stay on the the theme of multicolors here as we. Uh, as we shift over to my uh, tweet of the week tonight, which actually I just received this evening, and I told you that we uh, we had a front come through, and there was a few isolated little showers around, and one of them right around sunset happened to produce a beautiful double rainbow uh, right out east of where I live, actually out here. Hopefully, you can see that. Uh, so that is uh, that is our sign that there was a little bit of shower activity around here tonight, and uh, we won't be seeing much of that for the next week or so as we go get dry but I thought that was a, a beautiful picture Savannah Capshaw sent that to me and uh, she always got some great pictures that she shares and so I thought I'd feature that one tonight that is a good picture I hope you saved all 10 of the raindrops yes I, I think they're in somebody's Coco Ross gauge <laughs> uh, Jerry do you have yours up I sure do all right let me go get that out let me go to my screen share and of course this is the one I think everybody's seen um, this is the uh, what's left of the WSR 88D in San Juan and um, this is just really striking because the these structures are built to withstand some serious weather and um, yeah that didn't go so well so there was a radome there at one point there was an antenna there at one point and uh, now there isn't um, they're going to be out of uh, WSR 88D coverage for a few months. Uh, obviously not the most pressing concern given the other things that are going on uh, as Puerto Rico tries to recover from Maria. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was just really striking to uh, you know, demonstrate the power of this uh, 
really just catastrophic situation uh, that is unfolding on the island there. So um, I'll, I'll toss it back to you guys, and maybe we can have a little less of a downer for the next tweet of the week. Shame. Well, uh, I guess I'll go and, and, and have, I hate to be a downer, <laughs> but I had this one ready to go. Um, you know, Puerto Rico, a lot of talk about Puerto Rico and, and what's going on there, but don't forget there's other islands that really got hammered hard. Dominica was the first one that got hit uh, by Maria as it rapidly intensified to Category 5 right over the island. The eye went right overhead and absolutely just decimated this island. There, there's no communications there. Um, this one caused DominicaUnited.com is one organization that's committed to helping. Um, that came to me from um, a contact of mine, Marlon Peter Moreau, on that island. So thank you if, if you're watching out there. Uh, they, they have some cell signal. I'm not sure. They use WhatsApp and some other various forms of, of communication. I think satellite phones is one of them. But, um, you know, don't forget the, these folks in Dominica and also St. Croix. They got hit really, really hard. Uh, by Category 5 Maria as well before Puerto Rico. So, uh, you know, just when, when, if, you, if you're if you one to help, I'm not sure. I know American Red Cross is one, but this is just one outlet to check out if you want to make a difference in one of these islands that was hit very hard that is in an actual, in some some cases, worse, worse position than Puerto Rico. Um, you can uh, reach out to them there. That's it for me, Scotty. Back to you. All right. Well, I'm going to stick with the hurricane theme. Let me uh, get my screen shared going here. And this is uh, from the Weather Channel. This was tweeted out uh, earlier today. Uh, Sean Reynolds retweeted it, and I retweeted him. But uh, this is basically a hurricane timeline for a uh, month of September here in the uh, year 2017. Uh, there's not been a day yet in the month of September that there's not been a hurricane somewhere out in the Atlantic Basin. As you can see, it started with Irma back on uh, September or August 31st, September 1st, and uh, even through today, right now on September uh, 27th, Hurricane Lee is out uh, in the Atlantic. So it looks like if uh, Lee maintains its intensity for the next day or two, uh, we may see um, a hurricane uh, every day for the entire month of September. So it's hard to believe we've talked about on our show here several, you know, several years leading up to that. It's been really quiet in the tropics, and that has been uh, definitely not the story this year. Is uh, it's been a very active uh, tropic season. So, uh, Trevor, I know we talked a little bit earlier. Uh, uh, do you have a tweet of the week you'd like to share? Oh, he's on. You're on mute, Trevor. Whoopsies. So <laughs> I, I, I said that I was going to do. I was going to cheat and do a whole hashtag, which I still will. But I want to point out one specific uh, one. So let me uh, do my screen sharing here and uh, show you what I mean. There is this. Are you seeing my tweet now? Yes, we got it. Okay. This is from Courtney Oberfeld, who is one of the social media committee uh, members. But I just wanted to give a shout out to my committee for covering the NWAS 17 meeting. And uh, it, it was just mind-blowing, the, the amount of the teamwork that we were able to do uh, Courtney, Morgan, Matt, Brian, Frank, Jeremy. Um, I'm wearing Snapchat glasses in this picture, but you, down on the on the computer there, you can actually see uh, Hannah and Elise and um, and uh, Pat that were able to help out remotely. So they were actually remotely supporting the conference, answering questions, doing storify projects, the whole nine yards. So if you have an opportunity to, if you're interested in being on a committee with the NWA, uh, just go to nwas.org and find which one you like and ask because uh, you never know what you might be able to help out with the overall weather community. 
That's cool. Like Frank, Frank Alshamer, he's here from Charleston. He's back over in Columbia. Did you say Snapchat glasses? I did say Snapchat glasses. They're called Snapchat spectacles. And uh, it was really cool. It's essentially like having a GoPro on, on uh, your face, except that uh, you get 10 second videos and they're on Snapchat. So the really cool thing is that the pr uh, perspective never changes either. So you can like rotate it around and it stays level. And so you can either do uh, vertical or you can do horizontal, but the perspective is the same. So I was walking around through posters and during the breaks and even the, some of the talks and, and just kind of giving my experience walking through the, the conference. So it was really kind of a unique perspective to be able to do that for the conference as well. And that's why he's the chair of the social media committee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, every show that we do, I think, in the past couple of months, Shay has talked about Snapchat. So, Shay, I think we need to get you on Snapchat. I know, right? Well, you know, my, my, my go-to here, Rob Fowler, for that, he's, I still have yet to cross over to the, I call it the dark side, but he started <laughs> Casting because he says of his daughter, but now he's a regular on there. So I don't know. It's it's you know we're all going to have to migrate to something eventually. I mean, Facebook's not, probably not going to hold up in the long run for the message, but you know we, we have to continue to uh, evolve with it. You know, I just haven't made that. I mean, yet. I will say, I will say, SnapMap on Snapchat is a fantastic, fantastic situational awareness tool. It is amazing how much intel one can glean. Um, I know Tim Ballisti used to be at the Weather Channel. You know, he was talking about SnapMap a lot around Puerto Rico during Maria and Dominica during Maria. Um, mm -hmm. We, I used it here. I used it uh, during uh, Irma here, and I was able to find a lot of uh, inland flooding. Uh, and and I put it in the chat room, and, and they called me, and they were like, yeah, we can't use this operationally, but what are you seeing? <laughs> and so... Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so it was, it, I was able to get some good intel back to the Weather Service um, you know, in Charleston using SnapMap. So there's some very interesting things there. Now, granted, people will also snap FU Irma and uh, some other uh, things along with that. So you got to take the good with the bad. But, I mean, SnapMap really came through uh, as far as uh, situational awareness that I, even with Twitter and searches and stuff that you don't get. That's true. Cool. We'll, we'll have, we're going to have to do a show on Snapchat, and then at the end of it, we're going to sign Shay up for it. So. Yeah, I'm going to have go. to take that night off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Trevor, again, thank you for uh, joining us. I do want to let you uh, give us uh, our uh, followers and listeners on the podcast an opportunity to follow you on Twitter or Facebook or however you want uh, those followers. So go ahead and uh, share your social media accounts so uh, our good folks can follow you. Yeah, so uh, the best way is Twitter. It's my favorite one. So you can follow me on Twitter at ZombieTrev5K. Uh, I had a banner, but it's gone. I don't know if it doesn't work. But, hey, I'm technologically not advanced. But I can do social media. But uh, on on Snapchat, I'm the same. Um, I, I'm, I believe I'm also at ZombieTrev5K. But, um, but yeah, that's, how you could, that's the best way to get a hold of me on Twitter. I do all of my networking, sharing. Uh, if you want to get into a gift war with me, happy to challenge you. That's my thing. So... Uh, everything you ever see at Nash Severe Weather giffing about, you kind of learned it from me. Just saying. I hope my team is listening. Oh. <laughs> and if you'd like to, if you'd like to challenge me, you could do a whole show on challenging me with the gift war. It will happen, and I will win. So, so, so we had uh, we had Nash Severe Weather on back in August, and ever since then. We've started the uh, the gift war between Memphis and Nashville, but now you've laid the gauntlet down. So I, I think we need to make this happen, Eric. You guys, you guys fight amongst yourselves, and I'll I'll take on the winner. <laughs> yeah, he just drops a bomb and walks away. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
If Nashville, if Nash severe weather learned everything from you, then I think we shouldn't have any problem. He didn't learn any. He didn't learn everything from me. The only thing he learned from me was gift usage. I was like, boom, and and I can do the whole thing. I I could do any weather broadcast, any weather AFD, anything using a combination of Chris Farley and Jim Carrey uh, gifts. Yes. So, no sweat. <laughs> awesome. Uh oh, that uh, Nash severe weather is watching tonight. They said shots fired. So there we go. <laughs> Bring it, oh, boy. Bring it. Oh, well, Trevor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. I do want to talk about next week's show. We're going to be talking with, um, let me get my schedule pulled up here, Will Simmons with uh, the National, or he's a Hurricane Hunter pilot. Sorry about that. Uh, Will's going to be joining us, talking about flying into the eye of the storm. And then uh, on the 11th of October, we have a a show about the the, uh, storm surge unit out of the National Hurricane Center with um, Taylor Trogdon on with us. And I think uh, Eric has aligned both those shows up. So, Eric, quick plug for those uh, before we sign off. Yeah, there, those uh, two back-to-back shows on hurricanes and obviously a very timely topic. So I think, uh, I think we'll get some good, uh, some good discussion with them. I, I got an email this afternoon from uh, Will, and he had just stepped off the plane from his uh, 74th penetration into an eye wall this, uh, in his two years that he's been flying. Uh, was in Maria today. So I uh, look forward to talking to him next week and finding out a lot about uh, what they do and then following that up with uh, some inside uh, scoop on how, how the storm surge unit does works down there at the hurricane center. All right. We appreciate it again, Trevor. Thanks for uh, joining us and we'll have to bring you back on the show really, really soon. I look forward to it. Thank you guys. You're welcome. Everyone else have a great weekend. Uh, Stay, uh, or I guess stay cool out there for the next day or so and enjoy the cool snap, but it does look like warmer weather's on the way for uh, the first week of October here in the Southeast. So till next Wednesday, have a great weekend and we'll see you uh, here on our show next week.